Welcome back, Rage Nation. Definitely not PR friends. Myself, Pete. He needs to stop, like, fucking getting cute with these kicks. John the Mountain Man Stokes. You're not putting them on my models, motherfucker. Chris the non-tech Asian. Put the tape measure up and get some wages. You, yeah, no, you really frustrated me. You walked away and you came back and your scalpel had been thrown across the room. <laughs> I'm just here so I don't get fined. I will will share with you my one rage quit story. Dude, I'm a robot and I don't have a solo across now eight. This is going to be a really great opportunity for everybody to see how you effed up. Welcome back, Rage Nation. We are at it again. Got your boy Pete this time. And uh, yeah, I got, got something a little different. We talked about LVO last weekend, which if uh, you haven't signed up for that and are thinking about it, there's a couple spots that opened up. Uh, I think they said they got 12 extra spots. But unfortunately, I'm not going this year. I am going instead to the right coast, the, uh, the east coast. We are doing... A convention that I've always heard about being a guild ball player, but I'm excited to actually go play Malifaux in is Captain Con. So I brought on Jesse, and you might have heard Jesse before because he tends to have a lot of boring conversations. And uh, yeah, Jesse, what are you drinking? Nice, nice segue there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> today uh, I'm actually drink. I just came back from uh, from Vermont. We were there for the uh, holiday weekend. Uh, so I picked up a can of uh, Heady Topper from The Alchemist. It's um, kind of generally regarded as like the first New England style double IPA that came on the market a number of years ago. Um, hmm. And it's it's got a pretty silver can. So I, I, am, I am a fan of the IPAs. What What is a double IPA, though? I don't know if I've ever tried a double. Um, so if you've ever had a New England IPA, which is sort of like all the rage these days, mm-hmm. uh, it's basically the same thing. Okay. Um, so a double IPA is is pretty much like a West Coast, what used to be called an Imperial IPA. Uh, Imperial IPAs tended to have like high alcohol and more malt versus um, hops. Um, the New England double IPA or just the New England IPA uh, is much more heavily weighted towards uh, like a much more bitter beer. Um, generally, they're going to have like tropical style hops uh you're going to get a lot of tropical fruit mango um citrus pineapple flavors out of the hops um and they tend to have a little bit of more of like a like a sweeter finish um but not malty it's it it, yeah anyway i could talk about it for a while but (laughs) i am drinking a house blend black rifle coffee brew nice I, uh, the reason I'm doing that is because I drank a lot of rum and Coke for new year's and I didn't feel like (laughs) drinking still. So (laughs) yeah, for real, I was good this year. I was pretty good. I was pretty good. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't get hammered. So, but it was, I don't, I like hardly drink to get drunk really at all anymore. So anytime I drink more than like three of those, I know I'm going to be pretty, pretty buzzed and pretty usually headache the next day. And I, I was, so yeah. Oh, trust me, I'm I'm feeling my age at this point. I I hit I hit the big four zero this year, and I have a pretty like for all the talk I do about beer, I'm pretty strict about my intake. Like I limit myself to like one a night, and if I have three, yeah. I'm feeling it. Like I'm getting oh, a yeah. headache. I'm starting to get a headache well, that night, and I'm like, I mean, this is I, I actually good. prefer it that way though, because I mean, when I was in the army, we'd do some real benders, and yeah, you end up drinking your paycheck that way. So I'm happy I don't do that anymore. Yeah, for real. <laughs> But we're going to be talking about not just Captain Khan. Uh, Jesse, like me, is a lover of the Bayou. So 
I'm sorry, internet. You're going to get some more Bayou talk. I don't feel bad about it. I don't know why I apologized, but I feel, I don't know. I don't know about you, Jesse. I feel like people need to learn more about the Bayou. They need to be like Bo, you know, Fischenbacher and go exploring and figure out the Bayou because there's a lot of really cool mechanics that you can really unlock and do some powerful things with. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of Bayou masters that are, um, you can kind of play them on their face. Uh, you can play like your Ophelia ones and just, you know, shoot the crap out of stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, you can play your your zips and just kidnap stuff and, you know, lock <laughs> things down and generally make your opponent's life miserable. Oh, yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of second level play kind of under the surface with a lot of these masters. Yeah, and I, I did hear your, you actually went on and talked with the schemes and stones uh, about also Captain Khan. And I did hear you say in there, it's like, I'm not going to talk about the jockeys, but I'm going to let everybody know we're going to talk about the jockeys on this episode. Oh, we're going to talk about the jockeys on this episode. They're so fucking good that you're going to see them. And yeah. one specifically, you'll probably see, you could see with any Bayou master. She's that good. Spoiler alert. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the jockeys, they literally change basically every keyword in the faction. They do. Um, they are that good. Yeah. But before we get into that, and get into all the nonsense. Make sure that you guys are supporting the podcast. We are on Twitter, Instagram. Got the YouTube channel going on. Got a new video that'll probably come out uh, probably by the time this podcast comes out this week on Thursday. It'll probably already be on the YouTube channel. Uh, doing a actually doing a video on Brew Two and how to unpack it and what to look out for. So if you are playing or thinking about playing you know, Brewmaster Two, you should definitely give it a look. And if you are even a non-Bayou player, you should give it a look because there's a lot going on there and it's good to know what's happening so you don't get wrecked. <laughs> uh, so be on the lookout for that. We are getting close. I think we're about 100 away from giving away our first box for 500 subs on the YouTube channel. So if you subscribe, once we hit 500, I'm going to give away to a random person that subscribed a title box of their choice or a core box of their choice on the rage quits time. So, um, yeah, so for that, we're getting close and I will do a video when we actually give it away and pick the winner. And then finally, if you want to support us directly, you can do that on patreon.com slash rage quit wire. You can support us for as little as a dollar. Anything helps keep the lights on really love the support that everybody gives us on there. So really appreciate the patrons, but let's get into captain con. Uh, Chris and I keep talking about this, Jesse, and we are, Super pumped because for us, it's almost like three tournaments uh, just because it's going to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday for Malifaux events. And I don't know, you just want to kind of talk about what the weekend's going to look like as far as the two separate events and just kind of what, it, what it's looking like so far. Yeah, for sure. So I think for any folks who are attending uh, both events, so just to recap, uh, we have the Malifaux Content Creators Invitational or the MCCI that's going to be on Friday. It is a three-round team tournament. Um, each of the uh, invited content creation channels is going to be bringing teams of two. Um, I've talked a little bit about what the pairing system is going to look like, but nothing that's been like publicized yet. So you get to hear about it first. How about Sweet. that? Yeah, that's what so, we do. Yeah. Bring in the news, indeed. So um, for there are probably some folks out there who are familiar with uh, the second edition team tournament bragging rights, which then became Ultimate Team Showdown. Uh, Bragging Rights used to be a Warhammer Fantasy tournament. Uh, they did one year of that um, as Malifaux, second edition, and then um, it moved over to Ultimate Team Showdown, which did a couple of years of Malifaux. So uh, for that, each team would bring four players, and then you could also have a non-playing coach. 
um, in this one. Uh, I don't think anybody's bringing a non-playing coach, but suffice it to say, <laughs> we're trimming it down to two players per team. Um, what what they would actually do and what we're going to be doing in this one was it, it adds kind of a cool little wrinkle to the pairings. So what's going to happen is each team um, or each set of teams is going to have a set of two tables. Uh, you're going to go up to the tables. Um, there are going It's going to be the same scheme pool on each table, but it's going to be a different strategy and deployment. So every table in the entire um, tournament for, for a given round is going to have the same scheme pool. And then, um, again, there's going to be a different strategy and deployment on each of the two tables in each set. So it's going to be the same on each set. Uh, what's going to end up happening is once you walk up to your set of two tables, uh, whichever team is in the lead, uh, or for first round, we'll just flip off for it. Sure. Um, that team is going to, uh, or I, I should say, each player in both teams is going to declare their masters uh, before we do pairings. So if you and I are on the same team, I would say, I'm going to play Zip. Uh, you're going to play Ulix. Okay. Cool. The other team declares their masters as well. Um, whichever team is uh, in the lead or is randomly determined for that first round is going to choose one of their masters. And they're going to say, this master is going to play on this table. The other team is going to choose one of their two masters. That master gets paired with the first master that got put up from team A. And then the remaining two masters are going to play on the other table. So what that does is it adds just a little bit of an interesting layer to the pairings. Um, you don't know which title is going to be played because, again, that's going to be revealed yep. at, uh, at uh, crew reveal. Uh, but you're going to know, okay, well... You're playing Ulix. The other team has uh, Pandora. The other team put Pandora up first. I don't really want to have to put Ulix into Pandora. I think I have a better chance against Nekama. Um, so we're going to throw, you know, Jesse and his zip into Pandora. Nekama and Ulix are going to get paired off on the other table. So it adds a little bit of an element of control to the, the second uh, team. Uh, so if you're a little bit lower in the standings, you do get a little bit of an advantage there. Um, but the team that's in the lead gets the advantage of being able to choose the first master they want on the table that's best for them. Um, so it just adds kind of a fun little like metagame. Yeah, and I definitely like that because I did at least three or four Guild Ball team tournaments and they do three people on each team. And it even adds more depth because both sides would put one uh one team on a board and you knew what that team was and then you kind of guess around the other ones but i definitely like what you're saying because that does give a little bit of oh i don't want to play against that let me go ahead and play whatever that is and then you know the uh, getting board selection for being the lead is pretty big as well so there there i like how there's give and take no matter whether you're the first team or second yeah, and frankly, it just makes things a lot easier from a, a record-keeping standpoint, because if we didn't use this system, then we have to try and start keeping track of which player is in the lead on which team, and then the lead players get paired, and then the B, the second player, it just turns into a nightmare. So yeah. this is more fun, <laughs> and it's less work. Well, I was going to say, also, it gives some opportunities to be like, oh, you want to know what? I know you're not playing in it, but if I was playing against your team... I'd be like, oh, I know what? I really want to crack at Jesse. I'm going to go ahead and go yeah. on this table and just I want to I want to throw whatever I got at him. So definitely lets you do some calling out there too if you want. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, that's the MCCI. How many rounds are we doing for the uh, content creators tournament? Three, three? rounds. Three okay. rounds. Yep. 
Um, so we're doing three rounds on Friday. Um, Saturday, we're going to be doing three rounds of the uh, GT. Uh, and then Sunday, we're going to be doing remaining two rounds of the GT. Perfect. Um, assuming we get, you know, if we, you know, who knows if we, maybe we don't get enough players to necessitate five rounds, we might cut down to four and then we'll, you know, maybe do two the first day, two the second day. And leave well, some I mean, like, like you said, though, I, I mean, what, we already have 20 people just from the contents creators. Yeah, it's a 20 person start. I'm just leaving the option open to change the rounds a little bit, mm -hmm. just being flexible. Um, but I'm quite confident that we're going to be up, you know, yeah. by 30s, close to 40 people. Yeah. And it, even if you're not the content creators tournament, even if you're not in that thing, I definitely, I mean, dude, I love talking about Malifaux. So even if you're just playing Saturday and Sunday, which to me, I think that's actually going to be the more fun tournament yeah. um, anyways, just because that's where you kind of can really, you know, throw your crew out there and see what you got. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I think definitely hanging out Friday and just BSing and, watching me, you know, throw cards at people when I get pissed off. I mean, that's, I mean, I've done it in two of the three last tournaments, chuck my cards on the table. So yeah. if you want to see it in action, I mean, come hang out Friday For and sure. tell me how crappy I pilot my cruise. That's right. And my, <laughs> my plan is that I'm going to be getting a room um, so that I can do setup on Thursday night. Cause there's pretty much anybody that's coming in for the MCCI is going to be coming in Thursday night. Yeah. I doubt we're going to get many people coming in Friday morning. Um, so I'm going to try and get all the tables set up Thursday night. So if anybody does get into town and wants to come, uh, you know, just do some free play in the hall, they'll be oh, yeah. available. Um, we're probably not going to need all the tables on Friday. Yeah. Um, so there will be a few extra tables available for just, for open, just play. open play um, and running parallel. Uh, and then, of course, we're going to have the event on uh, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, and that, that's awesome because I know Chris and I were definitely getting in Thursday afternoon. Um, so I know I already talked to you and I was like, yeah, well, we can help set up and get some random games in. And um, I, one thing I was going to ask kind of mm -hmm. going back to, you know, your stick is uh, with the convention, mm -hmm. do they have, is there an open bar where we can go get drinks and stuff? How's that working as far as the con goes? Um, so they have a restaurant, um, which is just down the hall and around the corner mm -hmm. on previous years. There has not been a bar in the game room. Uh, but there has been beer available around the corner. Okay. Um, and then I'm not going to say that no beer liquor ends up in the game rooms on their own. Uh, it certainly has been known to happen in the past. So <laughs> just going to leave let's, that there. Let's just say in previous cons, I've been known to carry around my own cup. Let's just say yeah, that. Yeah. So, Dude, so just a short caveat that you'll probably appreciate. Uh, we went to Steam Con US whatever year it was that it was in Nashville and it was a great time. Uh, but we were staying in the hotel and everybody's, you know, getting pretty drunk on, I think it was Saturday. And one of the West Virginia guys ended up bringing some moonshine. So they had that, but then also the Chicago guys brought this fucking terrible shit. It's called Malort or something like that. And it's awful. It's like just paint thinner and anyway, so the the moonshine guys were like, oh, yeah, I drink this. Ha ha. You know, because it was pretty strong. But then the Chicago guys were like, oh, yeah, you got to try this. And the the West Virginia guy took a sip of it. He's like, this is God awful and like spit it out. And it was it was not good. So that's pretty funny. Yeah, we'll definitely um, be there Thursday and yep. uh, lots of hangout time, it seems like. So that'll be a lot of yeah. fun. There'll be a lot of hangout time. And, you know, for anybody who is going to be in town, especially if you're staying 
Um, I'd encourage you to take a look at Captain Khan's website. The event schedule has stuff. I mean, there's literally stuff going on practically yeah. all night long. I mean, there's, um, if you're looking, if you have free time, there is something to do, even if it's not just hanging out. So yeah, and I know, <laughs> I know we are staying uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. We're actually not leaving till Monday. So, I mean, just putting that out there for the internet. If you're going yeah. to Captain Con. Rage Quit Wire is going to be there for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, you'll be there for the duration. By the end of it, you're not even going to want to look at a Fate deck anymore. You're going to end up playing, you know, probably so, you know, eight, eight rounds plus another however many pickup some, games. Oh, yeah, I love it. Uh, but something we always do at these conventions, and I am bringing this to the con, is we always bring Dungeon Mayhem. I don't know if you've partaken mm -hmm. in that game before. Sure. That game is a blast. We always get hammered and all we do is we rotate the different classes mm -hmm. and just it's a super quick game, but it's always fun. One thing I'm planning on bringing uh, probably for Thursday night, maybe Friday night is uh, Epic. I think it's Epic Games. I can't remember the name of the game company. I'm pretty sure it's Epic. Um, they did an amazing Big Trouble in Little China board game. Nice. It's it's not quick. Um, it, it takes a couple hours to play, uh, but can, can I get... use Bert as my token? Uh, sure. <laughs> sure. I'm in. You Man. can play Jack Burton, play Bert. You're good to go. Um, but it's one of the best board games that I've ever played. The production values are awesome. That's People cool. always get a rock, a rock and good time out of it. So I'll probably bring that love up. it. Yeah. Love it. I, I don't care how bad Bert is. I always bring my boy. Um, I used him today. Did you? I did. To great effect. No, you didn't let me down. He was good. <laughs> Bert is one of the, so he's kind of in a weird spot in 3E where yeah. Bert Jebson will either score you a crap ton of points because he sneaks around or they kill him round one or two or turn one or two because he's so yeah. squishy. Yeah, he just dies too easy. Yeah. Um, but but from what I hear from him in second edition, that's probably well warranted because apparently he was really good in second. So Yeah, so almost all of the Bayou All-Stars from second edition uh, got taken down uh, several pegs. Uh, Bert, they Bert and flew McTavish. too close to the sun. Yeah, too exactly. Close to the sun. Bert and McTavish being the two prime examples. Uh, I've never gotten both... McTavish to work. No, he's terrible in this. I actually, so, and I've said this before in the podcast, McTavish, I actually tore the model apart mm. and I'm used his gator now as a Bayou gator instead of McTavish. So yeah, there it is. Uh, right. As far as the tournament for, you know, everybody else on Saturday and Sunday, mm -hmm. uh, you can use titles. Yep, sure and, can. And you're allowing proxies? Uh, yep. So there's going to be a terminant, ter terminant, yeah, tournament packet hopefully getting posted this week. Okay. Um, I have to try and figure out how I'm going to get it to the non-Facebook users of the universe. Um, yeah, I know, right? Uh, I was just thinking about that today because I've been posting stuff in the, the Facebook event page uh, for the events at CaptainCon. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if I can host files on Discord. I have to check. Uh, yeah, you might have to check with whoever runs like the weird Discord and stuff uh, to see. I don't know. There might be permissions with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I can always post it on the burning, uh, burning, yeah, boring conversation Discord if that's an option. But suffice it to say, the tournament packet should be going up um, probably this week. Uh, it's going to have uh, you know all, all the normal stuff you'd see, and then there's also going to be um, proxy uh, guidelines. Um, essentially, what I'm going to do. Uh, what, don't 100% quote me on this. I have to put a little bit more thought into it. But um, all unreleased titles and unreleased models will be available for play. Um, if a model has been available at for retail sale um, for at least a month, 
um, then you have to use the official model. Okay. Um, if something if something drops for retail sale like two weeks before the con, not every you can still use a proxy. Yeah, you can still use your proxy. But if it's been available for at least a month, you have to use the official model. Um, as far well, as so, let me ask you this ahead. though. Sure. Let me ask you. Sure. Because I've actually thought about this because I don't know a hundred percent what Maw two is going to look like. Mm-hmm. My Maw two conversion is pretty fucking sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I think depending like if that model doesn't look as cool as I think it will. I'll be like, ah, I'm just going to use my Mechami Maw that I made. Yeah. Um, cool. Based on the art, the card art, I'm pretty sure it's going to be pretty dope. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, but yeah. So if somebody has a super dope conversion for a released model, I'm just going to say, you know, send it to me and, and I'll approve it. Um, yeah. The only things that I don't really want to see are uh, like counts as models that you could normally hire into the crew because it can cause confusion. Um, okay. So like if, for instance, if I'm, you know, I don't want to use. I don't want to see somebody using like old cranky for a backup assistant. It's yeah. unlikely that somebody's going to hire old cranky into a Wong crew, but I just don't want there to be any confusion there. What if I am playing like Brewmaster two, mm-hmm. and I just use the Brewmaster one model? That's fine. Okay. Yeah, as far as, as long masters, as same base size, right? Yeah, as 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 far as masters go, um, the original master is always going to be a legal proxy for the title master as long as it's on the appropriate base size. <laughs> and if you if it's a size, so Chris with uh, with Maxine 2, he yeah. basically just put a, ma- a magnet on a 40 mil and just put her yeah. on it. <laughs> That's what I did with Ivan. I just stuck him onto a 40 for the times that I yeah. played him. The the players that it kind of screws are like the Reva 2s out there where she yeah. actually went down a base size. Yeah. Um, so whoever wants to run one of those is going to have to get a little creative in terms of um, sure. figuring out what they're going to use. Well, I think, that, I think that box was like one of the first ones to come out though, so. Uh, yeah it may i don't even it may be even out at this point i'm not sure um but those basically um there's going to be a full proxy and counts as rules in there um i just want to make sure that there are no situations where we get confusion um yeah i agree and i think and honestly the biggest thing is if you ever have a question about a proxy uh just ask the to just be like hey i have this proxy does this work and You'll know as soon as you get that answer. It's most time it's pretty easy for a TO to make a make a ruling on that. Ninety nine percent chance I'm going to say it's fine. Um, I mean, we live in the day and age of three D printing. You know, if somebody wants to print out a couple of snowmen and use them as cult geists, like it's fine. Like, just don't be a dick about it. Yeah, right. Uh, and then once the models are available, you have to use them. That's yeah. just the way it is. You know, I mean, it, I don't think we've ever seen this many new models across all of the factions in the game. So I'm just trying not to be a jerk about the the proxy stuff to put people at a significant disadvantage. Yeah, and I, that, I think that's the reason why I'm probably most excited for Saturday and Sunday is because I want to play against one some new players and just kind of see how other people are playing the game. And then two, I want to see what some of these new titles that I haven't seen yet, what they do and, you know, really get salty about the gotchas. And that that's something I'm looking forward to because, you know, I've had people say like, Oh, you really got to watch out for the ice pillars with Yuri too. And you got to really look out with the new uh, sand deep. And mm-hmm. I've had a guy on our discord who's like, yeah, symbols against the new sand deep is pretty balls ridiculous. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to have to see that trick apparently. Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I've been playing a, a reasonable amount, but I've seen a fraction of the Malifaux. Yeah, exactly. stuff. There's going to be so many gotchas for everybody. Uh, I mean, at this point, everything is new. Um, exactly. It, it's the biggest release that the game has ever seen. Yeah, which is it, it just it's is. a really cool time to be playing the game, which is why... 
I think everybody that I've talked to that's going to the convention is super jazzed about it just because it's a really cool time yeah. to really get your feet wet in a big tournament like that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, no matter what your skill level is, it's still going to be fun. And it's going to be a big enough event that, you know what, there's probably going to be a couple of really competitive tables. Um, but everybody's learning this stuff at the same time. And quite frankly, I don't really think that we're going to have too much salt at, at this event. Yeah. And, if, a lot of fun. And, and I mean, granted, you know, that's the brand of the podcast. And when I say I bitch and, you know, throw my cards and stuff, it's kind of, <laughs> I, I mean, I do get salty about stuff, but it's really just almost in jest. And then, you know, I talk it out and then it's just whatever. And it, it's, it's all in good fun. And the beautiful thing about a five round tournament, even a four round tournament is even if you're a newer player, you might round one or two play like a significantly more skilled player. Mm -hmm. But the great thing about those longer rounds is the longer you go into the tournament, so you get into round three, four and five, the closer you get to the people at your skill level. So no matter if you're good or you're new, by the end of the tournament, you're going to be playing people right at your level. And mm -hmm. that's when you're going to get some really great games. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one of the things that I really like about Malifaux and it's the Malifaux community, I think, as compared to uh, maybe some other tabletop uh, or CCG style games that I've played against, there's, there's nothing that chaps my ass more than drops in tournaments. Yeah. It kills me, especially as the TO. And in all the years that I've been playing Malifaux, both second and third edition, uh, I can count on one hand the number of times that I've had a player drop at an event. It yeah. just doesn't seem like it's very common in the community. And I think I really Malifaux players that. just want cool games and whether that's, you know, them being 0-3 in a tournament or being, you know, 3-0 in a tournament, I think people just want to see cool games and interactions. Yeah, and, you know, most of the people are just cool to play against, so it's not like you're rolling up into somebody's, you know, Dark Eldar list that just absolutely <laughs> stomps you and wins the game by the end of turn one, takes all the wind out of your sails. It's just the game doesn't play that way. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's, it's, it is a great community. So that's why I definitely swung hard into it once Guild Ball mm -hmm. died and went to my book of grudges. For um, sure. So cool. We got that. Um, for anybody that hasn't registered for the event, Jesse, what's probably the easiest way to go about that? Um, so the absolute best thing you can do is just go to uh, captaincon.com, uh, spelled out just the way you'd expect. Um, you can buy your badge. You can book hotel rooms. I believe there are still rooms available in the block. It's kind of good because I have to book mine. <laughs> um, and then make sure that you sign up for the event. Uh, we've got plenty of space available. Um, it, it's not something that I have to worry about capping. Captain Con's been really, really good about giving me plenty of space uh, we've actually got uh, essentially an entire room pretty much to ourselves. Um, the room, it has enough space for something like 24 tables. Um, so I don't think I'm going to need a bigger space, but it's also going to have like a monitor so I can put up standings. Like it's, it's great. Yeah, it's, it, cool. it's a great, great space. Well, cool. And I do looking at kind of getting into it, the badge wasn't too bad because it actually has like, levels like you can just do the base badge yep. or you can do what i did i think it might have been like 110 bucks and that gets you in all the days and you get like a t-shirt and some stuff with it nice mm -hmm. little swag bag um yeah i mean I, just a three-day badge if you yeah. don't want any of the extra swag it's like 65 bucks it's yeah which really, isn't bad for a con at all yeah it's very inexpensive for a con well and especially since that i mean that includes basically your tournament fees right there's no, yeah. when you go to like Adepticon, then you have to buy like the tournament fees on top of right. the badge. 
there's a couple of events that they're doing additional entry fees on top of the badge fees. Um, I'm not doing that for this. Um, I've been fortunate enough to get some sponsorship from nice. a couple of vendors. Uh, Weird is officially sponsoring us, so they're going to be sending some prize support. Um, they're going to be shouting us out on their social channels probably in the next week or so uh, to help spread the word. So there's no additional fees for any of my events. Um, the prize support, uh, the cap, the badge, or the badge, the con has their captain's log system, which is basically where you accrue points for doing things like participating in a tournament, doing you know participating in demos, that kind of thing. And you can cash in your captain's log points for just miscellaneous prizes at the Captain Con booth. Uh, obviously, I'm going to have some prize support. We're going to have some uh, trophies made up. That's um, it's going to be good stuff. Cool. And if I'm just doing the Malifaux tournament, um, I don't know how you do it. I don't know if you hand out like little bags of maybe tokens or something to everybody that enters. There's different tournaments that do different things for everybody for just playing. I don't know if you have anything like that in mind. Um, that's something I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I can get nailed down. I had a graphic artist guy that did some, that's done some great token work for me for, um, a charity event that I've run for a, a couple of times, uh, to, uh, get food to homeless shelters or, and, and food pantries around Thanksgiving. Um, he's also done some art for the podcast. Unfortunately, he does not have much time and I am struggling to find somebody else to do some artwork for me to get some tokens made up. Well, um, I do. I do have a guy that does stuff at Barding Tokens. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, if if you need somebody to print out some Malifaux Captain Con tokens, I yep. mean, you can always hit me up with some ideas that you have, and I can see if he can shoot something out. I may just do that because I am running dry on graphic <laughs> artists. I have somebody that can make the tokens on fairly short order, uh, but the graphics are turning into a problem. So, I got gotcha. you. you go. Yeah. So going into that, let's see here. We got the tournament. We got the hotel. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the hotel is right on on um, location with the convention yeah. hall, right? Sure is. So I basically just need to get an Uber from the uh, from the airport. And I'm good. Yep. 10 minute Uber ride from the airport and you never have to leave the hotel again. They got decent food there. Yeah. And there's right. plenty of food and a couple of breweries around there. Um, so I'm sure that we'll be hitting up some uh, local spots. Well, I'm, I'm going to be leaning on you for that because as somebody who's uh, I'm from the Northeast, but I have never been to Rhode Island. So this will be my first time in that state. So I'm kind of excited about that. Awesome. So we got that basically set up. Uh, we got proxies uh, going to be using GG2, correct? Yep. So uh, are you planning on dropping the pools prior to the event or is this yes. just day of? Yep. They're going to be in the tournament packet, which I'm hoping to get posted today. Uh, okay. Or today, uh, this week, rather. Ooh, so let's see here. You're doing that. So that mm -hmm. means, ooh, that means one of the strats we're going to do twice. Yeah. Very interesting. Yep. I'm still up in the air. It's either going to, I'll just say it right now. It's going to be either turf four or break the line. Um, <sighs> I feel like those are the two best strats in the tournament packet. I was hoping for symbols because I would just zip my way into those two. Uh, I love zipping to symbols. S symbols, I like symbols, but I feel like with being able to put them so close to the board edges, uh, it can yeah. make for some kind of one-sided uh, games if, if you just don't have the speed. Yeah, there, there are definitely some crews that run that way easier. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. They're, I feel like Turf War and Break the Line are the most... Engaging. Fair, yeah, exactly. The most fair and engaging, and they kind of hit all of the points of Malifaux. You've got, you know, you've got scheming, you've got area control, you've got uh, aggression defense pretty much everything 
If I bring my Ba Humrug model, you should use that on I one have, of the tables. I, I, I have one. I'm planning on using it. Uh, I got the Santalzo awesome. from last year, too. So I'm planning on getting that together, too. Yeah, I read. So uh, have you read the rules for this year's, though? I have. I'm not going to use the rules. So I'm just going to. It's they're, perfect they're... for Brewmaster mm -hmm. 2, though. Perfect. It gets more poison. I don't know. Maybe I will use the rules. We'll put them on some of the, the mid tables, not the real bottom or not the real top ones. We'll see. I know people are probably tired of me talking about Brew 2, but I, I've enjoyed that new crew uh, so much. I've said it a couple of times. It's the most fun I've ever had playing Malifaux. It, it is, man. Um, and I haven't right. even done the busted ass fermented river monk thing yet. I own one. That's the problem is I own one fermented river monk because I bought it in second edition. I bought it as a single mini. I didn't buy the box. Um, and uh, I know the, you know, all the hotness is running two or even three of them. Oh, I run uh, three. Yeah, there you go. So you run, I run two with the uh, 12 cups upgrade and one, mm -hmm. just one for whatever, one for causing problems. That's it. I like my Moon Shinobi so much, but I know the Fermented River Monks are just over, like, across the board better. So. Yeah, I, I think the problem with the Moon Shinobi is that, yes, they are, they're they're good, but they're just not as tanky. Like, no. just how tanky those monks are, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, we got the turn. Anything else, I mean, as far as you want to say, as far as the tournament? I know you've kind of shared a little bit here and there on other uh, places as well, but I don't know if there's any other info you want to get out there. No, I mean, the only thing I'd say is, um, you know, you can take a look at the Captain Con website to see what their COVID guidelines are. Obviously, it's the world we live in. Uh, it's the first major convention, um, really, that I've been to since the pandemic broke out. Yeah. Um, they do have a um, COVID guidelines section right on the front page. It does look, at, look like it is slightly out of date. Um, it got posted on November 14th, and I believe that Rhode Island... Uh, posted updated statewide guidelines on the 15th of December. So I'm assuming they're going to be updating the Captain Con website shortly. Um, what I would plan for is a fully vaccinated or equivalent, uh, meaning, um, you know, negative test result within 72 hours of the start of the event. Um, or, um, like I said, or proof of vaccination. And it is going to be a fully masked event from what it looks like based on the state guidelines. Um, there's not going to be an option for um, non-masked if fully vaccinated, uh, like is originally posted on the Captain Kong website. So while that's not finalized and I can't speak for them, I would plan on it being a fully masked and vaccinated or equivalent event. Yeah, and I, I would kind of probably expect that unless something there. I, I mean, just me looking at the news, there are some interesting things with this variant going around where, yeah. for, I mean, in, in de definitely it's a different population, but I know in South Africa, they had a huge spike like we're currently in, in yeah. cases, but they're actually now coming on at like a steep drop off. Um, yeah. So we don't know what it's going to look like, but I think that's a smart way to plan. And then if things change, great. Yeah, I don't, I don't expect them to lighten the guidelines before the event with yeah. only a month basically a month to go at this point. So uh, while things may improve um, from an infection rate standpoint and all that other, all those other metrics they use, uh, I, I wouldn't plan on it not being a fully masked event. So just yeah, and I, I think that's smart too, just because I know it's different than down here. Like right now, we're actually going outside more because the weather is nicer. It's not sure. as balls hot, but up in the Northeast, you see cases going up because it's colder. So people are going inside and hanging right. out. So yeah, it's it going to be sense. quite the opposite. I mean, the beginning of February is 
pretty much the worst of the winter. Oh, God, the there might be snow. Oh my God. I would say almost certainly there's going to be snow. <laughs> At least I'm flying and not uh, it, driving. Yeah, it <laughs> might be slushy, icy, messy, disgusting snow, but it'll probably be there. Well, I got, we'll see. I got lucky when I went out to the Midwest for Christmas, there was no snow. So yeah, usually there's... it's, usually it's good until about the second week of January. And then it, it really gets cold. <laughs> that's how it works up here. Yeah. Yeah. It, it always depends, but that, that makes good sense, but that's okay because you want to know it. You're going to be hanging around the convention anyway. So we're going to be sure. sitting put. Um, sure. All right. So, I mean, I think that's generally everything we need to talk about with yeah. the con. I think so. Yeah. Um, one thing I know you and I definitely have in common is, we both like Wong and the whiz bang keyword. Just it, there's a lot of kind of goofy shenanigans you do with that. I know you and I both have played. You've probably played more Wong than I have, but I definitely play him. Um, when I see that random scheme pool that looks good for a Wong drop, I'll, I'll drop him. But that doesn't come up too often. <laughs> yeah. So I think <laughs> I'm in the same position. The question is. If you're vying for a top table in a tournament, is Wong ever the choice? Yeah, I mean, that's what I basically have told a lot of people because, you know, for a while there, I was I was like, yeah, I like Wong, I like Wong. But when you're playing at an event, it's like, yes, I could probably score points here with Wong, but is that my best chance to win? And that's that lies the problem. <laughs> Therein lies the problem. That's right. So, um, Yeah. It, that's kind of where I come from. Like, I love him to death. He was probably my favorite master in second edition. I really like playing him in third edition. His crew's a lot of fun. It can do some wacky shit. Um, but it, it's all it's all heart of the cards with him. Like, if the, the cards aren't with you, ain't gonna fly. Well, and I think that really where Wong has settled with in M3E is... Pretty much if you see as a Bayou player that there's an option that has, you know, breakthrough and spread them out. And I don't know what strat you don't want to do him in turf war ever. No. Um, maybe you can do that with. So me, with me, if it was corrupted ley lines, spread them out was there and breakthrough was there and claim jump wasn't there because Wong can't prevent claim jump very easily. So if I saw a pool like that, I would probably think about bringing Wong. In a casual game, I definitely would. In a tournament, I'd be like, well, I could bring Wong here. Do I want to do it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the things that I usually look for are multiple schemes that require um, a lot of scheme markers mm -hmm. or that scheme marker deny uh, removal is going to deny a lot of points, potentially. Yeah. So, like, I'm looking for... Um, you know, your breakthrough, your spread them out, your outflank. Like those are the three that really, really tell me this might be worth considering Wong in. I'm not going to play him because I see one of those. Yes. But if I see like three scheme marker schemes in the pool, I'm really going to consider him because his crew has great scheme marker denial between him and Sammy and lightning bugs move, yep. moving the markers around. Uh, and he, Wong himself, has the ability to very, very easily score, spread them out in particular. It's like the perfect scheme for him. And yeah. he really helps out with the action efficiency that you need to get outflanked on. So that's usually where I look at him. Um, there's a couple things that I that might make me shy away from him. I don't really love Vendetta in the pool with Whizbang because they no. don't they don't have very good targets for it. 
Um, yeah, and Jesse, can you just explain really why I'm talking about like you don't want in Turf War, you don't want Assassinate, mm -hmm. you don't, well, Assassinate can assassinate. be tough in one. It's a, yeah, it's okay. But Vendetta, why don't you want to see that when you're playing Whizbang? So the problem with Whizbang is their models are all really fragile by and large. Uh, Alphonse can take quite a bit of punishment, but he's pretty much the only model in the crew that can be relied upon to take a lot of punishment. Um, you've got some shielded, you've got some healing, um, but if somebody just comes in hard on one of your models, it's probably going to die if it's not Alphonse. Yeah. Um, and if somebody comes in pretty hard on Alphonse with like two models, he's he's probably still going to drop. Well, and not only that, but Whizbang's thing is to do damage to itself to get right. fast and glowy exactly. tokens. And so you're kind of doing some of the work for your opponent. And then yeah. if they find that window, which there's always a window where you haven't been able to heal a model, you mm -hmm. know, at the next activation, then they're just, like you said, they're just going to come in and smoke it. Right. Exactly. I mean, as tough as Alphonse is, if he's down to six wounds, <laughs> it doesn't take that much to put him down. Yeah. And, so, I know... and then the other thing is too, like a lot of their models are relatively expensive for what yeah. they do. So it makes them good vendetta targets for your opponent because they're higher cost. You've got your swine curse at seven. You've got your taxidermist at eight. You've got Alphonse at nine. Um, and all of them are great targets for vendetta because it's yep. going to be very hard for you to keep them alive, especially yeah. taxidermists. They're an eight stone model that dies like a six stone model. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they do have an, a high like upside, but the problem is you're probably... I don't know about you, but the way I've used a taxidermist in the past is basically to, you know, pick a pulp them up somewhere, mm -hmm. maybe kill a model like a scheme runner. And then mm -hmm. when they get into the action, they die. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, before the pick a pulp got clarified in the errata and you could do real janky shit, like toss them across the board, give them slow, but then give them fast again right away. Yeah. With the same action. Like they were a little more viable because you could like drop bombs on stuff. Um, now... Yeah, I mean, they hit pretty hard, but they die real, real easy. Yeah, and I know the thing that we mostly wanted to talk about, and I, I was, I don't know about you, I was a little, I would say, disappointed with, there's some cool things with Wong 2, but I thought, mm -hmm. I thought one thing they really missed the opportunity to do with Wong 2 was to have a mechanic that put out a crap ton of glowy. Like, I feel like whether it was him or the new Enforcer, it would have been really cool to see more glowy get put out because... <laughs> That if you can put more glowy out, that makes the swine curse a little better and it makes Alphonse a lot better because now he has more to help reduce the damage. Yeah, I mean, so here's the deal with that. So I was thinking the same thing. When I first looked at Wong 2, I was like, dude, this guy sucks. You have <laughs> got to be kidding me. I was hoping for like a like a baller new version of Wong, and this is what I got. Ugh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so because same thing. I'm like, he he barely puts out any glowy. He uses Glowy on a lot of his actions. Like he, you can heal models extra, but you have to take Glowy off of them. Yeah. You can heal him with his front of card ability, but again, you have to take Glowy off of them. Like this isn't good. So I've changed my tune on him after a couple of games. Uh, and there's a couple reasons for it. And a part of it is that his Glowy generation is sort of under the surface. Like it's, you don't see it with an ability like Wong wants the glow or with him dropping shockwaves through your models. Yep. Um, and the other th big thing it comes with the jockeys is Fluffernutter oh, helps love so Fluffernutter. much. So 
the deal the deal with Wong Two and the glowy generation thing is it's it's really all about the siphon power on um on his front of card. Yes. So siphon power is something that like if you played against uh explorers, you played against the archivist and he's super busted and siphon power makes him have like the best gun in the game. It's totally ridiculous. So with Wong, the enchanter, the the title uh, he can't spread like a pulse of glowy out like with the glow on the on Wong one. But what he can do is use siphon power and put out a boatload of uh, glowy during his activation while still doing kind of doing what he things, wants to do yeah. as long as he's close enough to the model. So like he's one of the only ranged combat models. He has like a 12 inch gun. I never want him 12 inches away from the action. He yeah, because you want to be your like, boys. You want him to be like six inches away, probably. Um, or really just on the other side of the models that he's that he's trying to shoot, maybe even like, you know, four or five inches away or less. Because yeah. you get a figure like he activates, he uses his bonus action, uses siphon power on the bonus action, gives something fast and glowy. He hits the quick reflexes trigger to do his bonus action again. He does siphon power on something else. Even though he yeah. can't get a trigger, it doesn't matter. All you're doing is using siphon power to give yeah. out more glowy. Then he does whatever other attacks he's going to do. He does switcheroo, he does explosive solutions. So suffice, suffice, uh, essentially he's got three more AP where he's handing out a glowy apiece on every one of those AP. Um, so he can actually hand out a lot more than it really looks like on the surface. And the other thing too is like, I used to, I was ragging on wise words of wisdom so bad. It's his front of card ability where after a model with fast would gain fast again, it can discard a glowy token to heal too. Um, and you can only do that once per activation, uh, for each model. So I looked at that and I'm like, this sucks. Like he's, he's discarding a glowy token that he just got so that he can heal two, but he has to do two damage to make it happen. Then I got to thinking about it and I'm like, well, if you only have a couple of models around you, you can potentially tap the same model twice with siphon power, give it a glowy, give it fast and have it not lose any health. Yeah. So it, on the surface, it looked like it really sucked. Um, but in retrospect, and after playing it for a couple of games, it does actually help to alleviate some of the issue that Wong has with his models dying because you're dealing damage to give them yeah. fast and glowy. I was, was going to say, I actually found that it helped me yeah. keep some models like the Swine Cursed up longer than they usually do. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I know a lot of people poo-poo on the Swine Cursed, but... Uh, I, I was able to keep them up longer than usual. And then with the, I brought two of them. So mm -hmm. I almost ran this yo-yo effect with the heroic intervention where, you know, when one started getting low, I'd pull it out and push the fresh one back in mm -hmm. and then rinse and repeat. And a Bokor would heal the old one. And it, it worked to some effect. So I know there's something mm -hmm. there for sure. Yeah. I mean, I never play Swine Cursed with Wong 1 because um, I, I didn't just don't feel like I get enough mileage out of them. But the times I've played Wong 2, I've even come to the point where I'm taking two Swine Cursed and Alphonse. And it yeah. seemed, I mean, honestly, it seems to work great. It, it was weird because I've I've done that before with Wong 1 when I first started and it didn't work. But with Wong 2, it, like I said, I don't know if it's that little healing on top of some other things. And, and also the fact, I think that also what's important here is that he has, actually has a heal built in as an action. Mm -hmm. So yep. it's like, Oh crap! I really need to get this going. And then I love the puff of smoke trigger. Yeah, 
for one turn one unpacking and just getting yeah. models in position, but also further turns to get shit the fuck out of there. Yeah. I think <laughs> the big thing with Wong too that makes Wine Cursed work is that he doesn't have to deal as much damage to his own models to make his own activation worthwhile. Yeah, that's fair. Like you play Wong one and like you, let's say you get two enemy models next to one of your Swine Curse, two enemy models next to Alphonse. It doesn't matter. You pick whatever model you want. You're going to want a shockwave off of that Swine Curse or Alphonse or whatever yeah. model, probably th two or three times that turn. So you're going to be dealing two or three damage to them with no way to heal them. Yep. So now they're at, you know, Swine Curse are at almost half health. You've done a bunch of shockwaves, which is great, um, but they're in a real bad spot because they've yeah. only got four, three, whatever wounds left. Something can just come over and, you know, hit tap them twice yeah. and they die. Yeah. yeah, you don't have that problem with Wong too because he he deals, you know, a damage to him, gives him fast and glowy, maybe taps him a second time, heals him back to full, and they're all set. Yep. Now they're fast. They've only got one glowy, but still. Yeah, and like and you said, I di I didn't notice that interaction at first looking at the card. Just the fact that you don't have to do an action to give them fast and glowy. And then you can do it again and heal them up. So essentially they have one fast and one glowy with no damage now. Um, it does, Like I said, like you, I thought it was trash. I was like, this is stupid. Whenever you're going to use this. And it, it ends up working out. It does. It works way better than I thought it would. Even after I tried a couple of games with him and I just wasn't utilizing it well. But after a, after like three, four games or so, it kind of clicked. And I'm like. And also in a world where we have like Hoffman 2. And we have so many markers flying around in this version of Malifaux. Switcheroo is really good. Yeah. Just because I mean, yeah. those pylon markers, think about how much people are bitching about those things. And mm -hmm. you bring Wong to and you're just like, yeah, get it, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, Eight I inches mean, away. Bayou is the, the anti-marker faction. That's right. They have so much anti-marker tech and he just brings even more of it. And it's, it's anti-marker tech that can also summon and do other stuff like i'm i'm all for it i'm in now the one thing i haven't thought about yet jesse with this version of wong have you figured out where you would possibly think about bringing him in gg2 um because hmm. we have a pretty uh, full roster of pretty awesome masters so we do it's so tough. I th it's tough it still comes down to the keyword problem so we've been talking about all the ways that he helps to alleviate some of the issues that the keyword has but it's still there it's still there. Like, <laughs> so when am I going to take him over zip? Like, probably never. Yeah. When am I going to take him over Ma? Certainly never. Uh, I mean, like, it's it's one of those things where in it from a competitive standpoint, I love these versions of the Masters. They're super fun to play. I still don't know where they fit from a competitive standpoint. Yeah. Um, I would say there are a couple. Like, if you've got a hard read that your opponent is going to declare a particular master, then there are some spots where both versions of Wong are really going to shine. Um, it, but you can't you can't select a master expecting that your opponent's going to play a specific one. Yeah. So, like, if I'm playing into Explorers and I've got a good read that my opponent's going to play Cadmus, Wong is a great most of the time yeah. versus Cadmus, both versions of him. Because he can spread out so much damage that it overwhelms their ability to spread yeah. the damage out across their crew. And he can reach out and touch them from pretty far away. Um, that said, if my opponent ends up playing Ivan, it's I'm awful. going to be in a bad spot. Because all my dudes are willpower four 
uh, or five. And sure, he can't summon Brocken off me, but he can just shoot me to death. He can just kill you. Yeah, he can just kill you. <laughs> Doesn't uh, matter. That is so, the problem. Here. Yeah, that's the problem. So when do I take him on a competitive table? Um, I think it really comes down to the that scheme selection. But the problem is that with Wong 2, like we're talking about when you take Wong 1. So you see a scheme pool that's really going to work for him and you take Wong and then your opponent declares some bullshit master that's going to stomp him. And you're like, well, Wong 2 can't do any of the scheme <laughs> stuff that I took Wong 1 for. <laughs> and that's the whole reason I declared him in the first place. So I don't know. I don't know, man. I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> I almost think... I don't know, man. Maybe if if there was something on the front of his card that also gave some of his models some shielding off of something, that would probably help out. But there's just not quite enough damage mitigation there to help what the problem is with the keyword already. So the best way that I found to help out with that, and I, I agree that he, he might need a little bit more... like It's almost like the keyword wants something like... Um, not arcane shield because if you take arcane shield on your model on these whizbang models, it's going to negate negate your yeah, ability then to you hand can't out glowing. Them, right? But they need some. It's almost like they need some sort of new mechanic, like a like a like a shielding that only happens after they take damage. Like the first time they take damage in a turn, they gain shielded one. Call it like yeah. reactive shielding or something like that. Or um, maybe maybe like a front of card ability on Wong that says that. Um, you have the option of not reducing shielding when damaging uh, friendly models. Yeah. Something like that. So yeah. they get a little bit of extra defense from enemies, but it doesn't interfere with your ability to, to work the engine. Yeah, and I definitely want to keep playing around with Wong uh, just because I think there are some cool things you can do with him. And the, the cool thing about Malifaux is when there's a new gaining ground, it sometimes breathes life into a master that wasn't as good in a previous gain grounds mm -hmm. version. So I'm kind of just keeping him in my mind and then keep mm -hmm. practicing with him. And then there might be some schemes that come out in a different version that's like he really excels in. So yeah. I think it's just something to keep in mind. The crew, I I won't say it's better with Wong 2 than 1, but I will say he gives some stuff that provides you with some cool you know, gadgets to, to manipulate a board state. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I was going to say, we were talking a little bit about the jockeys. We mentioned Fluffernauter already and how good he is. So I played a game today against uh, Adam, my buddy. Uh, he's been on the pod, you know, he's on the podcast. He's my co-host all the time. Adam's a really good player. Like he and I, we, we pretty much, we go roughly 50-50 on our games. Um, so we're pretty evenly matched. He was playing... Um, a really strong crew. He was playing as a Rida one crew. So like Zoraida is like, I mean, she's pretty damn near top of the heap across. In, she can the game be with the right pilot for sure. With the right pilot. And he's a great pilot. He picked a great crew. I'm playing Wong one. <laughs> and like, that's pretty, that's a pretty lopsided match. Yeah. Let's be real. Um, I took two of the jockeys. I took Bo Peep and I took Fluffernutter. No way. I took Bo Peep. Yeah, I know. Right. So I feel like those two models and Adam agrees totally change the power dynamic with Wong One. He's so like he took with, they, he's, with he Wong told me one, after the go ahead. Yep. I was just going to ask you with Wong One, mm -hmm. what are what's your primary role then besides the extra movement, especially turn one? Mm -hmm. What are you primarily using Bow for besides healing? So there's two things. So 
one of them is well, you, you just basically talked about all three of the things that she does. <laughs> well, I'm just besides, and the healing so, aura is great, especially with Wong. The healing aura is really good. I'm, with I'm trying to because a lot of yeah. times I use her to really um, set up maybe an alpha, but mm-hmm. I don't think you do that with Wong's crew. So that's what I, no. So what I did with her, and this is the thing that that really changes the game with Wong. And Adam even said after the game, he's like. Those two models took Wong from like a D to like a B plus, <laughs> like a laughable, you know, lulls yeah. drop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So essentially what happens is the way that you used to have to play Wong is first activation of first turn. Wong goes, he drops a shitload of shockwaves all over your whole crew, yep. hands out two or three glowy to everybody. Launches something into space. <laughs> Maybe launches something into space, depending on the pool. Yep. Um, and then he just kind of sits there and waits for Alphonse to toss him up the board. Yeah, you're right, actually. So that's pretty much all that Wong does on first turn. So he's your very first activation. Your master's already out of the way. Your, your opponent doesn't have to worry about being threatened by him at all. So your opponent can kind of do whatever he wants to do, just bearing in mind that you've got a bunch of fast models. Yep. So... You start activating the rest of your crew, and now every time you activate a model, you're like, dude, this model's fast, and my opponent is all the way across the board, and I can't do anything to interact with them, because none of my guys have shooting attacks. Yep. So all I can do is basically walk twice and focus, or walk twice and drop a scheme marker, or, or, uh, or something like that. lightning bug shot. <laughs> yeah, so like you've got all these fast models with Bowie, but you're not doing anything with it. Because yeah. if you triple walk or if you walk, walk, charge, it's kind you're, of a way, waste. you're way overextended, the model dies, yeah. and it gets wasted. So what happens with Bo Peep and Fluffernutter is they totally change the math with Wong 1. Because now you can hand out Glowy and fast to your whole crew before Wong activates. Yep. So Bo Peep activates first, uses the races on. All your models get a three-inch push. She and Fluffernutter get five-inch pushes, push over the top of your models, damage them, which gives them fast and glowy. Which which can heal them, then, if you're playing Wong 2. Right, which can heal them if you're playing Wong 2. That's why it works great with him, too. So now, you've given fast to all of your models before Wong's activated. Fluffernutter goes, uses Carrot Cake Quake as bonus action, pulses oh, out more damage to everything. So now you've damaged probably five to six of your models with um, the races on with Bo Peep on Fluffernutter and her. Mm-hmm. So you've handed out a bunch of glowy there. Fluffernutter goes, pulses, deals, gives out more glowy and deals some more damage to everything. Your Bokor activates, heals everything with healing burst. All your dudes are back up to full. And now you've got all the rest of your models that can still do their thing, whatever they need to do for turn. And Wong still. Wong hasn't activated yet. That's the thing. So now what happens is the end of the turn, if your opponent has presented you with some targets for Wong, you can drop some bombs. But you can give all your models fast again before the start of turn two. That totally changes things because before what would happen is you've got a bunch of models maybe with some focus and no fast. Now your whole crew has fast all over again at the end of turn one. You make the initiative flip and you've got a whole crew full of fast focused beasts. Yeah, and you are right because and for and obviously there's a ton of people that haven't played Wong before, but when you played Wong before, he was the one generating the fast and the damage and the mm-hmm. glowy. And now with those jockeys, and we'll get into it more here, Sans Whizbang, because that's where most people are gonna see him. Yeah. But that just is beautiful because now you don't have to waste, you know, two APs, three APs. 
just getting your models fast without anything to do. Exactly. It, it's, it's such a huge game changer. Um, like I, it, it made, I couldn't believe how much of a difference it made when I tried it. Like I had workshopped it a little bit in my yeah. head, but this is the first time that I actually got them on the table with Wong one. And it just made an absolutely huge difference. Um, the new, the new model, uh, backup assistant, which I know you and I have talked a little bit about. You're not so much of a fan of him, right? So it's a cheap model and I've got your back is nice. And that's pretty much all I've done with that model. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, the th that's pretty much the only reason that I take him. Like I've never actually gotten the chance to use mold of the other. It's useful, especially if you're taking uh, the jockeys, because if your opponent ends up killing Fluffernutter, you can always mold of another back into it because it's yeah. an enforcer. So you've got the option of bringing it back. Like you can always bring back Swine Cursed or Taxidermist or, or whatever else. Whatever you bring, yeah. But yeah, you can't bring back Sammy. You can't bring back Alphonse. You can't bring back Bo Peep. So yep. it's always an option. I've never had to use it, but whatever. I've Got Your Back is really, 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 really big um, because Wong doesn't have a super reliable way to get out of combat without it. True. Um, and then the other thing that it does too is... It, this the the spacing of it is a little tricky and it's a very small area of influence but it does make his shockwave base three which is really threatening hmm. um so i had a situation in the game today where i had hooded rider on the other side of the table hooded rider was standing right next to olivia uh the his totem yep and the backup assistant ooh, so, ooh, yeah i know ooh, ooh. exactly so I've got Some a rider. Some call that Christmas land, my friend. Right. So well, here's the. So this is gonna. This is gonna play right into why Wong has issues. So I, it was magical Christmas land. So for anybody that doesn't know, when with Wong one, you do a shockwave. It's a TN thirteen. Yeah. You can target your own models and bump to up pulse the off number, of them. Yeah. They take a damage, and then it bumps the target number up to tar TN fifteen. Anything that's within a, a, like a two inch aura or something like that of his totem, Olivia has uh, <laughs> plus two TN on any simple duels. It's so awesome. it turned into a TN 17 shockwave. The, the rider only had three wounds left. It can't declare resistance triggers against the shockwave, so it couldn't reduce damage with fate tokens. And the backup assistant was standing right next to it. So now I've got Wong dropping three damage, three TN 17 shockwaves. That's awesome. Um, on a model that can't do anything to defend itself with it aside from flip. Um, so that was the end of turn one. And I did it three times, and Adam flipped an 11, a 12, and a 12. Boo! <laughs> and oh, then, ruined. start of turn two, I was like, I have it, I have it, I can do it. There's no way he's going to flip that many high cards again. And he did. And he did. So <laughs> I took six shockwave attacks at TN17 on the stupid uh, rider, and Adam just flipped his way out of all of it. And then they died. Um, the, the rider died. The rider died. I he I ended up he ended up whiffing on his attacks because I had a couple of high cards in my hand and he sure. had a marginal hand. I did end up killing it again. I made a big play error on this one because uh, I forgot that uh, Fluffernutter could carrot cake quick, which oh. goes from one damage to two damage because of the backup assist. Oh yeah, because it is a pulse. Right. So that would have done two unresistible damage, and then I could have charged the rider and stampeded to kill it with no flip. And I that's, just, that's just getting your reps, though. That's <laughs> that's all that is. Right. So suffice it to say, besides the goof with Fluffernutter having the potential to kill him, um, that just goes to show that even with Magical Christmas Land and Wong 1, 
you can't guarantee anything with him. True. And that's that's the real bitch of it. That's um, the way the up, cookie crumbles. That's the way the cookie crumbles. I mean, on all three, on all six of those shockwaves, I was hitting um, Vasilisa on one side, and I was hitting um, the Hooded Rider on the other side, pulsing off of two of my models, so dealing three damage apiece to those two that's models awesome. um, each turn. So I ended up dealing like six damage to my own crew and did nothing because both Vasilisa and the Hooded Rider passed all the tests. Oh. Um but that's just that's how Wong plays, man. So they had sometimes a crap, the cards aren't with so you. So they had a crap ton of glow on them. So when they did fail, though, they were going to take some damage. <laughs> and I never got the chance to hit him again because I ended up killing both those models with uh, with other things. So yeah, and I, I all think, my glow was for naught. I think that's that's good enough reason to look at basically how models can change. Maybe a master or crew that you haven't played in a while, mm-hmm. and I think. I saw this definitely. I've been doing the videos on the YouTube channel for the starter boxes that are coming out, Mm -hmm. just how you can use them, some of the tricks. And I did it for the jockeys as well. And the jockeys add so much to buy you. Obviously, I I don't know. I think Fluffernutter probably only has a spot in Whizbang. I haven't haven't seen anywhere else in Bayou I like Fluffernutter. I don't know if you, yeah. Um, There's some janky stuff you can do do with him in Ma. Um, I mean, Ma always has that option. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, the the cool thing that you can do with him and Ma is he, he has this trigger uh, magic act on yep. his gun where you can shoot a model and then pick up a marker within two inches of that model and drop it anywhere within two inches of that model. Damage. And it does damage. So you can shoot a model that's within two inches of, of a pit trap, pick up the pit trap, drop it under the model, deal the damage to them, and then they also take pit trap damage, and they're in the middle of a pit trap. So yeah, there's that's that. actually pretty good. It is, but it's only a stat 5 gun, and you can't guarantee the suit, because he's not a henchman. Yeah. Um, and it's on his gun, so you can't use his ramming speed thing. So it's pretty cute, but it's not reliable. Um, yeah, I think uh, we gotta yeah. talk about the elephant in the room, which is uh, Bo. So, Bo Peep... I don't know about you. I've talked to lots of Bayou players about her. You could put her in any Bayou list and she's going to do work. I since since her model arrived at my house, I have taken her in every single game I've played Bayou. And she does work. She just does every work. single game. Doesn't matter what crew it is. She's great. She... So you'll, you'll appreciate this because yeah. I know that as a Bayou player, you love this kind of shit. But I was playing against Maxine one and Chris was a douche and he brought the archivist and he brought Calypso and it was a giant shit show. And anyways, I was playing Ulix two and I put her in it and I, <laughs> I saw the archivist kind of hiding behind a rock. So I charged Bo up and I got the hogwash slosh cause it's built in on the charge mm-hmm. threw it into Ulix and a wild boar, not a wild boar, a, um, a war pig mm-hmm. and just beat the, bricks off that model because i hate the archivist so much yeah and so the cool thing with bo peep that is super cool and that that reminds me of a lot of the janky stuff that i've done with her with like like ma in particular oh with ma she's ridiculous stuff with beautiful so but the cool thing about bo is like she's we're talking about how good she is and how she goes into every crew and they're like from a design standpoint that's never really something that you want to see you never want somebody to say that this is an auto take model the cool thing about Bo Peep is she does a lot of stuff that the faction can't do, and she does it reasonably well. She's not, she doesn't have a crazy damage track. 
She, and she's not super hard to kill. Not very survivable. I mean, really, all she, she's five defense, four willpower, and a henchman, and that's it. That's, what, that's, that's not it. hard to kill at all. So your opponent can target her, kill her pretty easily. Nothing that she does on its own is super busted. So I feel like while she does a lot of good stuff, I don't feel like she's in a bad pace, bad place from a design standpoint. Because once your opponent see her on the other side of the table, if they just dedicate some resources to killing her, she's going to die. Like yeah, she, she's a model worth killing when it presents itself. Right. Um, it's the same thing. And I think that's a good point. It's kind of the same thing with the archivist, right? Where you see the archivist and you see Calypso out of keyword a lot. And obviously Calypso is its own thing, but the Archivist is pretty easy to kill once you get it. Yeah, I mean, kind of. I mean, it's got the Arcane Shield. Um, the problem with the Archivist is that it's usually screened by other models most well, of the time. I mean, it can that, be hard to get to. Yeah, depending on the crew for sure. Yeah, I mean, but between the Arcane Shield and the Cadmus thing where you can bounce oh, damage yeah. to other models, like... It, it's I have not found it to be very easy to kill. Um, yeah, that well, I'm, I was using it more like when yeah. it presents itself, you need to kill it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if you get that thing caught out in the open, you need to kill it with bow people. It's not that, that hard to get her caught. Well, out I was going to say that that is one of the downsides of bow is she is setting up an alpha or she's moving your crew forward or she wants to help pull a model towards your crew. So she's kind of getting in the mix. Yeah. So it, it is easier to kill her. Pretty much you can dedicate two models to it and probably drop her pretty easy. Yeah, I mean, honestly, her best defense is the fact that she's got the hogwash loss trigger to place the target of her melee attack um, anywhere within two inches, and she has a two-inch melee. Yeah. Like, her two-inch melee engagement is, that's the best defense that she has on the card. It is. And if you yeah. can get around it, if you just shoot her, She's going to fucking die. Yeah, I got around that a little bit because I had Maris in the list to put Burning Out for Ulix 2. Mm -hmm. So I tried to keep most of my crew in the um, exhaust, you know, concealment. Yeah. And that helps most of the part, but I did make a mistake of overextending her out of it. So, mm -hmm. I mean, she died. She died. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So basically, if you see if you see Bo Peep on the table and you have shooting, shoot her. Oh, yeah. She'll die. Not yeah. that hard. Yeah, I definitely, she is really strong. If you're looking to get aggressive, she's an auto include in my book. Um, if you're just looking for something to get repositioning, uh, if you have like mom, mom loves her, any kind of hazardous terrain, she's great to throw people in hazardous terrain. Um, she's great in whizbang because she can even whip some of the whizbang models um, that we were just talking about. So she's mm -hmm. just so damn flexible and just useful. Uh, one thing with her and Whizbang in particular, and this is something that it's pretty easy to miss, because like, aside from Whizbang, there aren't really that many other crews in Bayou that you want to be actively damaging your own models. Um, maybe putting some burning on them with Ulix too, but like, that's just not really a thing that Bayou does that much. Yeah. So her front of card ability, the crowd goes wild. Uh, after a friendly model ends its activation with an eight, it heals one for each other model damage during its activation. That doesn't say enemy model. Yep. Yeah. So all the times that you're damaging your own models in Whizbang to give Glowy, you can also be healing, which yeah. is the reason that I consider her to be an auto include in that keyword. Yeah, I I've, I would say Whizbang and Sui are the two keywords where that healing aura really does work because yeah. Sui is just they want to do damage. They're doing stampede. They're going mm -hmm. reckless. Um, so they're going to at least get one heal off that aura for sure. 
Yeah, being able to heal off of damaging your own models is uh, pretty strong. Yeah, it's huge. And those, yeah. Um, and I don't know about you. I mean, obviously, you can bring bow in every list, which I, I haven't done just because I don't. I, I like knowing that it's there. And in tournaments, I usually do bring her. Um, I usually try not to bring her if I'm just trying to learn a crew or get used to, you know, whatever I'm trying to do. But have you given Ruffles a lot of play? I've actually been pleasantly surprised with that model. I, I've played Ruffles a couple of times. Um, I've only played him Ma. with Maw, yeah. Yeah, I've played him in Maw. I would, frankly, I would play him in any Ley Lines game. I yes. think he is a Ley Lines all-star. Yep, I agree. Um, he is really good with Maw um, because he... <laughs> so, <laughs> you know that ability that people get really pissed off about called Scatter? Uh, uh Fuhatsu has it in Ten Thunders, and I think that Insidious Madness have it in uh, Dreamer. So basically the thing with Scatter is, you know, it's an unresistible push away from the model that's using it. It just costs an AP. There's nothing your opponent can do about it. So denies ley lines, denies positional schemes. It's a super strong ability. So Ruffles has it on a bonus action, um, and it's not just a push away. It's a push in any direction, and it can affect... Uh, friendly models. Yep. <laughs> so you can use ruffles to shuffle around your whole crew early in the the game. Yep. Get them moved around. You know, move this model this way, move this model this way, do all sorts of crazy shit. And then later on in the game, you know, he's your your uh, football carrier in ley lines because so, he's fast as shit. Because <laughs> he's because he's moved seven and can move over models. Yep. So you start him near your your first ley lines marker. He focuses. He does crazy chicken you know whatever and then second turn he runs all the way to the center marker assuming that that your opponent has some models around there claims the center marker at the end of the turn you've probably got some pit traps over there because ma mm. yep um, pit traps. and then he's just doing unresistible pushes to knock enemy models into pit traps and if you actually get him in a position where he can attack an enemy model then he can give you pass tokens which like access to pass token generation and Bayou is not really a thing. Just in Maw 1, really. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, in Maw 1, pretty much, but you can do that. In, and in the any... uh, the new Enforcer for Brewmaster, too, Shoujo the new has Enforcer. It. Yep, definitely. That's it. That's it. <laughs> but that's it. That's it. So, I mean, Ruffles, again, all the jockeys die super easy. Ruffles even more so because he's not a henchman. Yeah. Um, he has no healing on his card. He's he pretty dies. fragile. But, like, Move seven, unimpeded, can move over models, has unresistible pushes. Like, he's a Ley Lines all-star, man. And on top of that, people also forget his rifle has a push trigger as well. Mm -hmm. So he can do that, go to the middle, push that all around. If you, let's just say for some reason, you ran your, you know, your football carrier over Mm -hmm. to maybe the Ley Line on their other side, so they're trying to claim the back two, you could theoretically shoot the one that has the football push them off of it or if they're even if they were in the middle you can shoot them off the middle yeah yeah i mean it's a little more situational because it's beast or jockey only so like i mean unless their football carrier is a beast then it doesn't work yeah um but you can use it i mean the cool thing is that it's 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 a stat you know it's a min damage one that also pushes the target two inches and then if it also if it happens to be a jockey like bo peep who you're taking anyway um, well, the, so just to clarify, though, the gun can mm-hmm. push anybody. The, the two-inch push. Yeah, the yeah, extra yeah, yeah, push yeah. I was talking about the trigger. Sorry, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right, you're right. 
So it does have the two inch push, and then the extra push is Beaster Jockey only. So, yep. yes, and you are correct, sir. And of course, like we've been saying, you're going to bring Bo with that. So I found that when I bring Ruffles, I'm usually keeping Bo pretty close to him. That way, if somebody does try to present a threat to kill Ruffles for some reason, mm-hmm. I can use Bo to try and screen that a little bit, maybe throw him into a pit trap, feed it to Maul, yep. whatever I want to do with it. 100%. 100%. <laughs> I got to ask you about Stumpy, man. I haven't found a use for Stumpy. Stumpy kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess so there has to be I, one dud in the box. Yeah, so... All right, so, so yeah, the jockeys stuck. are super good. Uh, if you're a Bayou player and you haven't picked them up yet, you're a fool. Don't be a fool. You're a fool of a took. Yeah, fool of a took. That's right. Um, last thing I want to talk about, and we won't spend as much time talking about this, but I know you do play the Ulix one. Yeah. Um, you said you haven't played Ulix 2 yet. Have not. Is there any reason just you haven't had a chance yet? I, I, honestly, I just haven't had a chance. Yeah. The games that I've been playing, I've been working on Ophelia. Uh, oh, I've been working on so Wong. I just I haven't gotten to Ulix, J- so, Ulix 2 just yet. Just looking at it, is there something specifically about the new Ulix that you're like just super excited about? So it, it changes the way that I build my Ulix crews because I, I play... Kind, I mean, I think it's probably kind of an unconventional Ulix One crew. Yeah. Where I hire two war pigs with inferiority complex Ooh. and a squealer. So turn one, as long as I draw a twelve, I'm growing a third war pig. Or if I grow, if I draw an eight, I'm growing a wild boar. Which the following turn, I'm growing to a war pig. That doesn't seem uh, terrible. So yeah, <laughs> and that's the thing. So the whole idea with that crew is that I've got the two war pigs that I'm using hurt them on to get a walk. And then when they get the walk, they get the free focus because of inferiority complex. Um, and then I'm, you know, maybe walking them up again with another hurt them from Penelope or something ending within six inches of Penelope. So they get the plus one movement. And now yep. I've got a reckless move seven war pig with inferiority complex that I can run off onto the flank and kill schemers. Um, or I can just have them go smash the middle. And then the whole idea with that crew is that like, you don't activate with the war pigs first on turn two. You let your opponent hit them a couple of times, knock them down to like half or so health, activate heal, with heal them, themselves up. heal themselves all the way back up to full because they've got the built-in rams from inferiority complex. Um, and now they're, you know, your opponents put a bunch of AP into them that was for naught. Yeah. That doesn't work as well with Ulix 2 because I don't have access to all the herdums. Yeah. Um, it still works. But it's also a lot easier to grow war pigs with the Ulix Hell too. Yeah, so man. I don't feel like I need to do that tack. I can focus on more. I can like bring the sow. I can focus on more of the utility pieces instead of just throwing three war pigs in my opponent's face turn one. Yeah. So I actually, and I'm, I, I obviously only have one game with Ulix too. So this is all just kind of theory crafting plus the game. And I I do like it because it's aggro as hell. Like this this version of Ulix, Ulix one, you almost have to kind of. And I like the way you play it because I actually don't like. I've done at least a dozen Ulix games, and you got to do the grow thing, and you're trying to grow it into yeah, a war pig, and then you grow it, or sorry, you grow it into a wild boar, and then into a war pig, and yep. you know your opponent sees you doing this stuff, and meanwhile they're looking at ways to kill you. Um, right. And then it's yeah, all, I, it drains your hand, and I'm just like, fuck. So I like the way you did it, which I'm actually intrigued to try now. Yeah. But Ulix 2, 
it's like you can either you can do a couple things you can either use ulix to set your crap on fire or you can bring maris and be like i'm gonna set two things on fire and make this piglet into a war pig and haha mm -hmm. um and i tell you what i also brought bow in that list and mm -hmm. by turn one i could have been i wasn't quite because i didn't i didn't do this till turn two I could have been basically in their deployment zone with most of my heavy hitters. It was pretty ridiculous. Yeah. And I mean, Ulix 2 hits pretty hard himself. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, he looks uh, the way that I've termed Ulix 2 is like he's like the Bayou Nekama. I mean, he's yeah, that's growing the way his models. Tell me. He's hitting like a fucking truck. He's super fast. Um, well, yeah. I love that he can shoot his bow even while engaged and he ignores friendly fire. Yeah. Um, because the way I use it a couple times is I got engaged by somebody with two inch reach. So I shot a model. I got the trigger for reposition, repositioned into the model and then beat the crap out of it with the mm -hmm. flaming tusks or whatever. Um, and then shot a war pig up out of a piglet. Yep. You're getting a piglet each turn with, you know, the sow. So you're doing that every turn. So just spitting out war pigs yep. and the war pigs are getting in the mix and, his heel is actually pretty good too. His heel is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's it's one thing that I really like about him because like I've gotten to a point after a bunch of games with Ulix One where I would literally never take the Sal. I think she's an awful model with him. Um, just absolutely not worth the points. But in Ulix Two, I'm pretty sure I would take the Sal like every game. Yeah. So I, I like that it changes it out, up the hiring. Shoot it up the board. Right. Exactly. It changes the hiring quite a bit. Um. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to give him a try. I do think that Ulix One still has a place. Oh yeah. Um, especially like when the, I've played Ulix the herdum, in tournament the games. The Herdums are ridiculous in Ulix One. They really are. And especially the way that I build him, like the whole thing with the growing is that like you have to do the Herdums, you have to do the grows, yeah. and it just uses up a bunch of AP and cards. If you only have to grow once or twice in the entire game because you're not summoning any more piglets, it kind of frees up Ulix's AP to be a little bit more liberal. And with three war pigs plus old major on the table, he's got a lot of really good targets for Hurtum. So yeah, the once Hurt, per Hurt turn thing. And also he has pretty good attacks to get out he adversary. He so does. Which I, makes I pigs ridiculous. Them, I don't use them as much as I should. Um, but there are definitely some situations where it's actually worthwhile, especially if he's near some other models that he can bounce attacks to, um, to just charge him into the mix. You know, I mean, he, he can hand out the uh, adversary and he does have coordinated attack on his melee. So being able to do some damage and give adversary and get coordinated attacks with old major or with a war pig that happens to be next to him, it's pretty good. Um, my one gripe, I, my one big gripe with Ulix is that he doesn't ignore, Ulix one is that he doesn't ignore friendly fire because it yeah. makes his tossed slot ranged attack something Hard. i've literally never used it it's horrible <laughs> and it has so much potential because like you can do some healing you can do some movement you can hand out adversary you can do blasts but you never get to use it yeah ever so like if he could if he just ignored friendly fire that would help so much and then the other thing i'd really like to see to give him a little buff because he is very card intensive and same thing like if your flips are bad um, you're going to end up spending a bunch of cards for um, Herdums, uh, potentially some higher cards that you need for other things. So if they just added uh, Surge to Herdum, 
and they gave him, and they made him ignore friendly fire, I think he'd be in a fantastic spot. You know, the one thing I miss the most playing Ulix 2 versus Ulix 1 is Ulix 1 has the ability to give all the pigs one inch reach. I yeah. miss the hell out of that playing That's Ulix huge. 2. It is. I didn't realize That's how big huge. it would be until I looked at it. I'm like, who the hell used to give my pigs one inch reach? I'm like, oh, fuck. It was no, Ulix 1. Yeah. It's a great option. Um, frequently, I'm still going to be charging into base. Yeah. Um, because I want to get the stampede. I, I find but it more having when people the one are inch reach you. Is, exactly. That's it. Having the one inch reach is really big for making sure Poopa can't just lock you away at one yep. inch. And then making Old Major into a two inch engagement to help hold the center is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, boy. Yeah. So you don't bring the sow a lot, but you're going to bring her in two probably. Yeah, probably. Still bringing in Old Major because he's a beast. Uh, yep, absolutely. I don't know anything else with Ulix two that you're like, oh, I'm also going to play around with this. Um, well, I mean, so getting off that whole not giving out the plus one range to pigs, I have considered taking a hog whisperer because they also have the same ability. They have <laughs> swineherd, but they're just they don't seem to keep up with the keyword. Like the whole keyword is super fast. Slop haulers can hitch a ride. Ulix one can hitch a ride, or Ulix two is just fast. Yeah. Um. Hog Whisperers give you another Hurdum. They give you an Obey on an attack that you don't need a TN for. They can potentially summon Pigs. They give the plus one range. They seem on paper like they should be. Oh, they have tools for the job, which is fucking awesome. So I do um, like the swine or the uh, the Whispers, uh, right. but I only bring them if I'm going to bring Gracie because they can mm -hmm. ride with her. That's the only right. time I bring them. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like on paper, they look like they should be great, but, but every they fall time back. I've tried them, they just don't. They don't pay off. Yeah. And like I said, I, I actually like them. I like their card a lot. And I know some people don't, and that's fine. But I yeah, I mean, I literally maybe, only do it if I bring Gracie. Yeah. I mean, honestly, maybe just the double walk turn one. Yeah. To get them into position at the end of the turn is enough. And then they're close enough to the mix that they can affect you the also, game. You also, I mean, you are you are saying that. But keep in mind, we're talking in a world where we're bringing Bo Peep. And she does help with that. She does. So. She does. I guess at that point, it just comes into a matter of like the points budget. However, taking, yeah, <laughs> I am going to bring a slot hauler probably from now on just with Ulix 2, maybe even exactly. with one, like, because I have the the Bob Ross slot hauler model and yes. I have to bring it. Yeah. And, and that really comes down to it, it's just the points. Like, do you that have too. the points to take all these models? Because no. if you're taking <laughs> exactly. So like well, you got to take is the whisper six or seven. Six. I mean, so like. You've got to take Old Major. You've got to take the Sow. You've got to take Bo Peep. Yep. You're probably going to take a Slop Hauler. And then you have to um, bring either Piglets or the... Um, yeah. You have to take a Piglet to start the game. Whatever probably. the Five Stone ones are, the ones with the whatever on their back. Right. 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 So the like... Squealers. You, the Squealers. Yeah. So if you've got to take all of those models, like it doesn't really leave you... It doesn't a whole lot more space. Like at that point, you're not hiring any war pigs, which I crutch on hired war pigs so hard. Like I can't imagine not hiring. I don't think you need to do that with two though. Maybe, maybe. I mean, at that point, so like I'm just, I'm workshopping. Or you hire right two now. and you have a third one screaming in real quick also. So you have three war pigs just Oh, you know, because you, you got to hire Maris too. I forgot about that. So I actually was talking to Powell on my discord for the Rage Quit Wire and he... He actually was saying he doesn't bring Maris because what he does 
is he brings or he uses Ulix to put fire on one model, mm -hmm. right? But then what he does is he brings a squealer and then pushes a squealer through. And since the squealer is size two, you only need to go through one flaming model. Okay. So, I mean, that's a possibility. So basically, if you take... That's five instead of three stones, though. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, if you take the crew that we were just talking about, if you do Old Major, the Sal, Bo Peep, Hog Whisperer, Maris, Slaw Poller, and a Piglet, that leaves you at four stones, which is... <laughs> low. That's pretty low for, for <laughs> Ulix. He really needs a lot of stones. Yeah, um, and, I, and I think I was actually seeing a lot of Bayou players talking about six or seven stones, just so, one, you can mitigate some damage, but then, two, you also get the crow trigger for the, you know, to grow a pig up um, on the bonus. So, and I think yeah. that's a, that's the other thing I like about that uh, bacon beeline bonus is it's a bonus it pushes a pig and if you get the crow it grows a pig so you're getting and don't forget his his models if you go through enemies which after mm -hmm. turn two you will you're putting out fire now on everything you go through mm -hmm. just automatic yeah for sure and i mean you're gonna need a lot of stones in particular because like old major he eats up a lot well stones. defense four will do that jesse yeah, defense four on an anchor model. Um, <laughs> like, if they kill him, your crew kind of starts to fall apart a little bit. It does. Um, and he's worth killing because, you know, the, the yeah. extra ram and the bonus to the damage is super good. Oh, it's filthy. It's absolutely filthy. It is. Dude, I was playing against that. I started popping Calypso for, like, six damage. And, mm -hmm. and Calypso is gross, but it basically got to the point where Calypso would die, he would get summoned, and then I would kill it again. He'd have to summon it again. And basically, I was just using a war pig to make Calypso yeah. just be summoned. And then I eventually killed BB. Yeah, I mean, that whole, that whole like, war pig with inferiority complex thing, I've used that, and I've killed Calypso and BB in the same activation. Oh, so beautiful. Because they can charge multiple times. Yes, they so can. So it's like, charge BB, stampede on it, hit it for a shitload of damage armor piercing, or charge Calypso, rather. Um, hit it for a shitload of damage, armor piercing. BB pops out. You charge him again. You stampede. You hit him again. He just dies. Yep. He just dies. It's the best anti BB tech that I can. It actually come up is with. just because of the multiple charges in the fast. Yeah. Well, I hope the viewers have gotten a lot out of uh, our Bayou talk. <laughs> <laughs> Completely unscripted. We just kind of went. It was great. No, yeah, thanks for coming to our TED Talk. Uh, it, was, it was fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, but I, I, and I don't know, actually I do know, but I, I want to get your take on this because I think if you are like me where you you play in tournaments and you talk to people about Malifaux because you run your podcast and you're on the discords, there, there really is kind of like, it's almost like highbrowing, you know, like th there is really kind of a looking down on the bayou a lot of times. And I, I, I don't know where that comes from. I think less so than it used to be. I, I feel like we're at a point now, like people make the not a real faction joke, but it, it doesn't come up even close to as much as it used to. I, I, real, I, I truly feel like Bayou is a more visible and respected faction than it has been in the past. And I think a lot of that comes from the, comes from the fact that we've got more than three good masters now. Yeah. Um, that was a real problem in 2E is that really there were only three competitive masters in the entire faction. Um, I, I might argue that there was a fourth, but that is 2E, so it doesn't matter. 
Um, and not a lot of people played them. Um, now they've gotten a ton of releases. They were fairly early in the release schedule for most of their new stuff. Um, there's a lot of content creators that, that talk about them, to be quite honest. Uh, well, they're apparently not the visible. schemes and stones. Those guys just shit all over the bayou. That's okay. That's only, that's only cause they just lose to them all the time. Is that what it they is? Just, they're a little salty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and the, th and I think I want to keep making this point because one, I think if you're a good player, you can really unlock some cool things with them, mm -hmm. but also I've played in some tournaments against newer players who have not seen Bayou. And I think there's a little feel bad there because there's some stuff that'll just it. The Bayou can make your game so miserable if you aren't ready for it. Yeah. Like, and I think that especially in smaller metas, it, I'm not that surprised that there aren't that many Bayou players because like they're the green skin faction of the game. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a certain type of person that's going to gravitate towards them. Um, they're not sexy looking. They're not. As, oh, they're have not you freaking... seen? Maris and Trixie Bell, pretty sure. sexy. And Maul, come on. Maris the flying dump truck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, they're not sexy looking. They, they're they not freaking ninjas like Ten Thunders. Yeah. They're not giant stompy robots like, you know, Hoffman. Um, they, they just don't have as much. Well, and they're tiny, appeal. right? You see them on the board. They're like this big. Right. They don't have the aesthetic appeal. So in a smaller meta, there's probably going to be fewer people that are inclined to play. They them. want the cool looking stuff. They want exactly. They want the cool looking stuff. And then there's trolls like you and me that just like the weird shit. <laughs> um, so funny story. I've never told anybody this, but when I first got into Malifaux, I got a demo game from my buddy um, and he told me all the things that he liked about all the factions and then he told me, except I really hate Bayou. He's like, I, I just think they're really stupid. I don't think they should be in the game. Like sold. <laughs> I literally picked up Bayou because I wanted to troll my buddy. Nice. Um, and it's stayed that way all through second edition and straight through now. <laughs> so Bayou is kind of funny because I started at Outcast and I got into Bayou because I, I like Greenskins. I've played them before. So I was like, cool, I'll try, you know, the Greenskins and kind of do some things. And mm -hmm. I played them. Um, I played them for a bit and then I kind of swung into Neverborn for a little bit because I like monsters. But I came back to Bayou just because there's something about their masters and some of the janky models that I just I love. I love some of just the really weird stuff you can pull off with that crew. And I think that's why I like Wong so much because and I like these jockeys and I like Maw and I like Zip because there's so many like even I'm going to damage my own models for profit and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I was a Skaven player in fantasy. Oh, me too, so, man. Yeah. I knew it. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I dabbled in green skins, but I was a Skaven player through and through. Kill the whole unit of slaves. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I don't care. For, I, I, whoa, take my... for, for a second, just so people know, Skaven had a unit called slaves. Skaven slaves. Skaven, Skaven slaves. slaves. Skaven slaves. That's right. <laughs> Loincloths and slings. That was pretty much it. That's all they had. It's true. So, I mean, you know, I'm using warp lightning cannons and I'm using Giselles and I'm using all this stuff that yeah. damages my own models that can go totally off the rails, like a doom wheel that I get a bad roll with and just then it roll through. through my whole line and just annihilates my dudes. So that's the kind of thing that appeals to me. Oh, yeah, I love it. Bayou has a little bit of that, but in a more controllable fashion. Um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely um, the way they balanced it out in this edition. They've still made it a thing, but it's it's controllable. And 
you kind of know on the high end, like, okay, this might turn bad, but only this bad, you know, it's not going to be right. like right. destroy my whole, whole game. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I don't have to worry about rolling through a, a unit of clan rats and, and accidentally killing 14 of them just because yeah. I roll bad. Oh yeah, yeah exactly. I've, I've been there, man. I played Skaven for a long time. That's it. Love that game. Too bad they killed it off. Hey, you know, I've tried it in AOS and it's just not the same. Nope. It Hard does pass. not do it for me. Hard, Hard pass. pass. In the book of grudges, it went never to come yep. out again. Yep. All right. Well, Jesse, why don't you go ahead and give us a quick plug? Just let people know what you're about and where they can find you and uh, yeah. what you do. For sure. So uh, best place to catch us is on the Boring Conversation podcast feed. Uh, we do also have a Facebook group and we have a Discord channel. Uh, I'm fairly active on the Discord, so um, you can usually catch me there for conversation, especially boring conversation, <laughs> ideally. Um, I'm big into beer, um, so if we do have a channel uh, in the Boring Conversation Discord that's just what are you drinking, and we have people sharing you know, pictures of whatever they're drinking while they're doing hobby stuff. Um, I'll post pictures of the beers that I drink. We have a lot of, a lot of participation in there. Uh, I actually have to post a picture of my my heady topper. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, if if you're ever interested in talking about beer or home brewing, because that's my other hobby, um, feel free to get in touch with me on the Discord. And I will literally, if you think I can talk about Malifaux, just you get me talking about home brewing beer or beer <laughs> in general, because I'll have you there all fucking night. Well, that's good. We definitely, yeah, come out to Captain Con. If you are anywhere, if you have the ability to get up into Rhode Island, fly in, drive in, whatever you do. I know it's going to be a good time. I plan mm -hmm. on drinking some beer and playing some Malifaux, eating some good food and just shooting the shit. It's, it's going to be a good time. Um, I don't, I have no doubt with that. So I'm really excited for that. You're putting on the Malifaux events for that. Um, I don't be think, awesome. I don't think we said the specific date. What's the date range for that? Uh, it's the first weekend of February. I believe it runs the fourth through the sixth. February 4th to 6th. All right. Well, everybody go ahead and check out Boring Conversation. Uh, I love the, I think it was the last one you guys put out. It was like a Bayou episode. So I definitely enjoyed that one. Yeah. Um, I do like, I don't know about you, but I like it when podcasts, kind of like what even just you and I did, where it's like, we're going to talk about this faction and like these, this, but we're just going to kind of go wherever the conversation <laughs> takes us but we're going to mm -hmm. stay on this faction. I love those kind of episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we usually go into it with a, we'll do, I'll, I'll usually do like a call sheet that'll give us like a basic outline. Um, but we try to keep it pretty free and loose, uh, yeah. especially when, especially when Maeve's on, um, she and I just, we just, we have good conversations and I, I feel like we play off each other. Well. <laughs> I tell you what, and that's, that's one reason to go on and Maeve's pretty active in a lot of discords, but uh, definitely Maeve, ha especially if you're looking at Bayou, but any faction really, because Maeve has a lot of great ideas. I would say if you want some good ideas, but also some janky ass shit, Maeve, yeah. do some spicy stuff. Yeah, the bad scientist <laughs> of Malifaux, that's what we call her. <laughs> All right, Jesse, I want to thank you for coming on again. I uh, appreciate you talking about the con and just talking Bayou in general. Um, I think until next time, folks, make sure that you guys are flipping cards, flipping tables, and we'll see you all next time. Let's see you on the flippity flip. Flippity flop! Uh -huh.